0: This here is a Jim Huber show. It don't come with no French fried taters or nothing like that.
1: If that's what he's wondering, it's just Jim.
0: Derek Kellogg, we're gonna catch Coach Kellogg on the show today. He's what driving? Is that what's going on, Jim?
1: Driving to media day,
0: eight ten media day. So he's taking some time out, and we'll get him on the line. Uh, Jimmy had a rough night last night. New baby, and <laughs> people aren't people aren't sleeping and cooperating as fully as Jim and
1: would like. And. The worst is when you say the wrong things to your wife. That's the worst. Did you mess up? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. What did you. What's
0: the matter with
2: everybody? Everybody's so grumpy every morning around here.
1: And I didn't say anything when she came back to me. I just nope. closed my mouth. Listen, and I the whole the whole morning I've been saying, "Honey, can I do this? Do you need this? Do you need that?" What I she, know when I'm in the hey, doghouse. Is outfit, she giving
0: huh? you the silent treatment? Did you get that? Oh, uh, you get that look. That's the worst. And, uh, yeah, oh. they're not
1: talking to you the oh, way that they usually man. do. And. I, mean, I couldn't even fix my hair this morning, I mean, that's how bad
0: it is. <laughs> what do you do? Do you, sh- huh? you shave your head? Is that what you do every morning?
1: Dude, yes. Do I mean, you have to do that every to, day? No, not every morning. Because I don't know. I'm not a member of the bald community, and I don't know. I've noticed that so you've been losing a few hair. There. <laughs> I'm worried about hey. it. There's a little bit of stress coming. Yeah, yeah,
0: no doubt about that. So I was thinking of you last night. I was studying Derek Kellogg. Uh, we got him coming on in about two minutes here. Uh, I'm studying Derek Kellogg, and I'm watching Curb Your Enthusiasm while I'm studying it. So I'm watching the episode, and Larry David donates a kidney to Richard Lewis, and and he dies, and he goes to heaven. And what do you think happens the first thing he gets to heaven? Sees Peter, Saint Peter. He he has hair again. His old, oh yeah. yeah. So he gets to heaven, his old hair is back, right? And he's it's so, like the hair of Jesus down. Yeah, all the way down. It's the, the best head of hair ever, right? And so he's he's so excited that he has hair. That's the first thing he realizes in heaven, and then they bring him back he ends up living and so he comes to from his coma and the first thing he does he reaches up and feels his head and he's, he's, he feels feeling the for, he's feeling he's feeling and he's all disappointed that he's alive and that he has no hair so I was thinking about you last night alright let's see if let's roll a little bit of audio here to give you a little bit of the career on Derek Kellogg he played point guard for the UMass Minutemen when they were on top of the college basketball world
2: it was a great time and a great place to be at UMass, and it was um, it was fun. I mean, it was just a fun time to come play. He's got to shoot this shot, Kellogg. He's got to knock down a three. Kellogg.
0: Coach, as I, I watched tape last night, I, I remember you were there in '94, and you guys beat Temple. And John Chaney was a little irritated with the way <laughs> Coach Cal was massaging the officials. Good
2: job guys and you pick them out and single them out you can get that and I'm guys something. shut up not you hey, hey hey you remember that when i
0: see you kick your ass. were were you guys in the locker room when all that happened or
2: no actually if you um watch and it's maybe a shell of myself, but I was actually at the podium with one of our other players, Mike Williams. <laughs> we <which laughs> kind of both had uh, decent games, I guess. And, and really what had happened, you know, it's it just kept a competition. You know, uh, Temple, to a certain point, had beat UMass, I don't know, I think it was 180 yeah. straight times, something, something along those lines. And then we were on a 7-9 game winning mm-hmm. streak at that point where we had beat Temple every time. And I think, uh, you know, Janey, Coach Chaney and Saw the new guy in the block and and was holding his grounds <laughs> and, and it got a little feisty in there. Um, <laughs> you know, you bit, you behind it, the podium, you, you think? job th-
0: for cover yeah. behind the podium. But they're they're like buddies now, right? They're they're fine, well, right? You know,
2: I think it was a little bit for show, and you know, back then you could probably do uh, you know some things that you might not be able to get away with in today's uh, society. And, and uh, it was uh, it made for good TV. It's still one of the classics. On all the uh, the stations when they they go back to the uh, feuds of the 90s or whatever it might be. But uh, Coach Janey and Cal are good friends now, and I think they were even good friends back then that just uh, 10% boiled for a minute or two there.
1: You talk about your style of play uh, at UMass, and I know like on offense you try to score quick. Um, What what do you do like in practice to simulate that and, and to get kids to be able to take even good shots when you're trying to play that fast?
2: Well, that, that's a great question because there is a fine line between shooting fast and taking a shot that um, just looks crazy, <laughs> you because know? if you give guys a freedom sometimes, I kind of ask them and tell them, don't take advantage of my freedom and kindness uh, when you're on the floor. Um, you know, you've got to you gotta figure out what's a good shot, bad shot. So I, I'll chart that some with the guys. We'll talk good shot, bad shot. Um, if a guy takes a shot that's questionable, um, I'll, I'll bring the team together, blow to and ask him, is that a good shot or a bad shot? Um, and i 'll do it uh, quite frequently during practice, so we start establishing what I would consider what the team considers uh, a good shot bad shot. Um, I like that the thirty second shot clock is being implemented in college mm-hmm. basketball sure I think that's going to force teams to uh, have to play some instead of you know moving the ball twenty five times before they uh, they take a shot um, but I do think um, because we practice that way with the uh, you know lesser amount of timeouts with not being able to call a timeout, get a free 10 seconds in the backcourt this year uh, with a 30-second shot clock, I'm anticipating that our scoring could go up anywhere from three to five points a game and and put us even uh, higher in the uh, category nationally.
0: You mentioned that you're guard-oriented and uh, in the NBA, it's all threes and dunks and and some analytics may suggest that that mid-range shot, that pull-up jumper is a bad shot. Is that a good shot if you've got a guy on your team that's great on the pull-up game or is that a bad shot for UMass?
2: I mean, normally I would say it's a bad shot, but we do have a couple guys that have been working on that. Big range. If you make it, it's a great shot. The question is, if you miss, you're usually not in great defense, uh, offensive rebounding position, and then that gives that team a chance to, to push. So we're, we're more along the lines of free throws, threes, and, and layups. You know, uh, but I've loosened up the strings a tad um, on a couple of my guys for that big range shot. As long as when I come out of my balcony in the new practice facility and I look out, that guy's in the gym working on that big range elbow shot, um, but analytics do, do state that, you know, threes, if you're shooting a certain percentage, um, layups and free throws uh, give you more points per possession than that mid-range, too. So we're pretty conscious in, uh, in practice and also in our games of how many of those mid-range shots we're taking. Coach,
0: well, uh, Coach Kellogg, so I, I was studying last night. We have something in common, a family name. My grandmother's name was Max, M- Maxine. And you have a son.
1: In this life or the next? Well, as
2: you know, the Gladiator movie, my wife and I saw that many years ago. And we had uh, we had talked that if we ever had a fortune up to have a son, we were going to call him Maximus. So <laughs> when, <laughs> when it actually came to fruition, uh, we, we called him Maximus after the, the great Gladiator movie. And then the middle name, which people might not know, is Antonio. Which, uh, as my wife was eight months pregnant, we were in San Antonio, Texas for the Final Four game. that we eventually lost to Kansas. Uh, and so uh, the middle name was kind of a combination of being from San Antonio, one of our better players, Antonio Anderson. We came up with Maximus Antonio Kellogg. So I always tell him, even though you're kind of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed little guy, you better have some uh, gladiator toughness to you to walk around with that name.
0: <laughs> Maximus is the
1: Latin, which means, Jim, do you know? Coach, do you know?
2: <laughs> no, no, fill me in, please. That will be great.
1: Greatest. But I, I got to go, go back to what Coach said. He said he's at the Final Four. They got beat by KU, and I know that brought a smile to your face because you're a KU fan. I hate to say it, Coach. <laughs>
0: when, when Chalmers hit that shot, you could hear me screaming for a mile. Collins driving, almost lost the handle. Chalmers for the tie. Got it! two seconds.
1: Unbelievable. We're going to overtime in San Antonio. Jim, the free throws did it. And put Memphis in this kind of a position. You can
2: hear us screaming too. <laughs> <laughs> the same scream. Uh, that was uh, that was a great college basketball game. Um, you know, I think one that goes down in the uh, the archives as a, as one of the top games. And uh, you know, they played a fantastic game. What a great finish! And uh, you know, we'll we'll have memories about that one for a long time.
1: Coach, I tell kids all the time: five ten point guards are like a diamond in a dozen. And and I always tell them, like, there, you have to do things that separate you from others. What are the intangibles that you feel like separates uh, the, you know, individuals from being a really great point guard?
2: The strange thing about point guards is I always call it, you know, the it factor. Like, when you watch a kid play, whether it's in an AU game or a college game, they just make the right pass at the right time. They're always seem to – the nose seems to be around the ball. And I I think a guy that has a natural feel for the game makes it so much easier on a coach and players to play with them, He gets you the ball at the right time. He's making sure his teams... He's basically a guy who has uh, servient leadership where he's given up a little bit of his own game for the betterment of the team. He's figuring out a way, and I, and I thought I did this as a player myself, of making the other guys around you happy, that they wanted to play with you, that they, they appreciated how you were both on and off the floor. And I think the point guard has the toughest job in college basketball from how it is on the basketball floor. It's in the community... That guy needs to be the one in the community that's telling the other players this is how a UMass basketball player or whatever team kind of acts. And then in the classroom, um, they got to show a ton of leadership in the three C's uh, the court, the community, the classroom. And if they do that, the guys in the team will follow. And then I think you have a chance to have a, a, a big time season, but also, more importantly, a big time program.
0: Who's the best point guard? For the money, right now in the NBA,
2: I would unequivocally say he rose if he wasn't, um, you know, coming off injury in that but the year. when he was healthy; it wasn't even close. But I'll tell you what: there's some really, really good ones. I was reading about Westbrook yesterday and the numbers he put up uh, to try to get them uh, into the playoffs and, and push them forward last year. I think he's fantastic. Uh, but I would, I would, I would say right to second uh, Steph Curry may nudge him just, just a tad because. He did get the MVP in the league. They did go on to, to win the championship, and he's proven that um, you know with hard work and, and continue to improve, you, you can become not only a great player but the best player in the NBA. And what you're seeing is, you know, under, other than some of your traditional uh, blue bloods in college basketball that are getting a lot of the draft picks, a lot of the next tier of, of really good players are coming from are coming from schools that are non traditional. Uh, you know, BCS-level programs, whether it's Steph Curry or Paul George or Damian Lillard or guys of that nature. You can come from anywhere in this college landscape, and you, you need to go to the right place for you and and right. go to a place where you might get a chance to play a little earlier and get better and work on your skills. And I think that's helped us in recruiting some to say you can come to UMass and, and get better and improve, play against those same teams and still have a chance to be an NBA draft pick.
1: Well, speaking of recruiting, I know you guys got it going on. I mean, they're in the top 16 to 20 of recruiting classes. And then also, I don't know if you know this, Troy, but they just implemented, what, a $30 million practice facility. And Coach Cal says it's the best in the country.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, it's fantastic. Not only is it a basketball facility, but it's a great place to obviously recruit to. And we have all the amenities in our brand-new locker room, training facility that's phenomenal, weight and strength area for our our strength coach to do business. And the most important thing, um, it's great for recruits. This is the first year we've been able to bring kids on campus and show them our home and show them a brand-new facility just for men's and women's basketball that for right now, for maybe the, the next year or two, I think it might be right up there as one of the top, uh, five or if not the top uh, practice facilities in the country. We're excited, and uh, I'm hoping that this can uh, kind of put us in the next level of uh, the Atlantic 10 and also on the national scene.
1: Coach Kellogg, take me back to that, you know, the 90s in UMass and, and playing for Coach Cal. What did he do to come in and just the philosophies that he implemented to create success in that program?
2: I'd say the most important thing that I saw at Cal every day was the energy that he would bring, and he's still bringing it uh, to this day and age, I think, as people watch his team and program. But, you know, the energy, the passion that he had for the game and his program are something that you have to have to compete at the highest level of college athletics, and especially at a place like UMass, which had gone from one of the worst programs in Division One basketball to a place that we were competing for national mm-hmm. championships and were, uh, you know, a top-ten program for two or three years. And you um, know I've tried to emulate a lot of my uh, coaching, a lot of the things I do in my personal life, after a guy that's been uh, first a coach, then kind of a mentor, now really a friend uh, to me in the UMass program.
0: Coach, who had the hair
1: first?
2: <laughs> that's a good question because I kind of think I had the uh, the gel going all the way back to high school. So I'm gonna have to go with the uh,
0: I'm gonna have to go with myself on that one. <laughs> so he's he's you mentored his hair. He mentored
1: your cool. coaching, you mentored the hair. <laughs> I remember meeting Coach Kellogg the first time, and he, he, he walked in. I was like, gosh, dang, man, I was, I was jealous yeah. with, with the hair. I was like, gosh, <laughs> man, can I go Most back and it, get that hair deal? I to
2: find the extra-large bottle of L.A. Look sport uh, hole anywhere, so when I see it, I do kind of grab a couple bottles to make sure I'm always, <laughs> I'm always
0: prepared. November twenty second, 1991. You come in, you're an unheralded point guard. The radio guys were bagging on Coach Cal that he that he shouldn't have spent state money on your scholarship. Some radio jerk was saying stuff like that, <laughs> and and you come into the cage. You used to have dirt floor underneath the regular floor, and in the old days they said that like squirrels would run across the lane <laughs> in this place. Like it was it was a great Dr. J. You know what a place to play.
2: I have a great memory of uh, the cage. We've actually had used it. Uh, quite frequently up until our practice facility was just built. And I think those same squirrels, they looked a little older, though. They had gray hair, and um, those same squirrels that were running around in 1991 uh, were, were still prevalent, <laughs> so it's kind of funny and interesting. But it was a, uh, you know, there was a lot of history and memories in, in, the, in the cage, and when you walk in there the first time, you're saying, hey, man, this is an old place. But um, the nostalgia that you could feel, maybe a Dr. J finishing on the break or a uh, or an Al Skinner coming through, or Jack Lehman. You could almost hear his voice on the sidelines. And I do remember the first game we played that year was a midnight game um, against Siena. Uh, we had gotten up quite a bit. Uh, and the crowd was going crazy. The, the paint chips were falling from the ceiling. Um, it was just an unbelievable college uh, atmosphere. It was on national television. And I remember the assistant coach, Bill Bano coming down to me, who um, had gone on a little bit later to be the NBA coach and the head coach at mm-hmm. the um, and he asked, you know, do you want a red shirt or do you want to go in and play? <laughs> kind of all within a 30-second clip. And the, uh, I think the nostalgia, of the building, the, the crowd cheering, um, and how the game was going kind of overtook my emotion. I said, I'm going in. And so 32 minutes of playing time later, uh, the season was coming to a close. <laughs> and I wondered if I had kind of made a little bit of a mistake until we played uh, in the NCAA tournament that year. And I actually played quite a bit. And from that point on, um, you know, I ended up starting for three years. And and that freshman year was a a learning curve for me and a a great learning experience with a lot of older, more mature guys on the
1: team. From going in a point to where they think you shouldn't even deserve a scholarship to being a three-year starter, what did you learn from Coach Cal to become a great point guard?
2: Well, You know, Coach Cal and his staff, I thought we had a great staff at the time. Bruiser Flint, who's the head coach at Drexel. um, Bill Baino, who who took the uh, UNLV head job right from UMass. John Robick. Uh, who's now the assistant at Kentucky, Um, all those guys did a great job, along with Coach Cal, of uh, working with you on a daily basis of, you know, helping you uh, show up some of your limitations and and working towards your strengths. And I think the one thing uh, they taught me was a toughness on the floor. And that was able to, that kind of allowed me to uh, overcome some, maybe some limitations athletically or some of those things. And, you know, Coach Cal is very specific of what he expected out of me as a point guard. And when I was able to give that to them with the other talented players we had around, um, that, was a, that allowed me to, um, you know, become the starting point guard and help our team eventually get to a final eight and three straight NCAA tournaments as a starter. And, um, you know, I take a lot of the stuff I learned as a player um, and try to implement that in coaching, from your toughness and passion to, uh, you know, how the game's supposed to be played, the pattern of uh, going from offense to defense. And the difference, I think, has become – the, guards, the, the the college game has become a little bit more of a guard-orientated game. So uh, my guards play a little differently than I did uh, back then. We we kind of pounded the ball into Marcus Camby and Lou Rowe and our tough people. We play a little bit more of a guard-orientated kind of athletic game than maybe back then. So I've changed, but the same philosophy of winning championships is, is kind of – Uh, come through for my playing
0: days. All right, Coach, you've reached the uh, fourth quarter. We're in the overtime. We're getting ready to release you. Jimmy has been working all night on these three questions, and, and then you're off.
1: Off the hook. Perfect. All right, Coach, if you're on an island and you have one movie to watch for the remainder of your life, what is it?
2: You know what? I'm going to go with gladiator. How can you have your son Maximus <laughs> you Antonio goes, right. Kellogg, and you're not going with gladiator?
0: By the way, Maximus was the one. It peaked at 192 as the most popular boy's name in America, and then Maximo <laughs> came in at number 942. So I think it's better you went with
1: Maximus than Maximo, Coach.
2: I agree with you fully.
1: <laughs> All right, Coach. If you, had, if you had to recommend one book to change someone's life, what is it?
2: Wow, that's a great question. That that one kind of got me off guard. Um, Bouncing back by John Calipari. That, that kind of reading that for me was great, and I thought it gave a a good um, way for people when you're down or when you know you, you need
1: to fight back to kind of come back out of uh, out of a tough situation. And the last one, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you in your life. Um, To
2: dream big, to to that anything is possible, and that's come from a lot of different people, whether it's my parents or uh, my high school coach or Coach Cal, that anything in America and anything in your life is possible with hard work, with um, having a vision for where you want to go, and and then be true to yourself. Um, I think those things have been kind of how we've lived our life, how I've lived my life, and and have really helped me uh, get to the point I am in coaching. But I'm dreaming even bigger. So, uh, you know, hopefully there's a next layer to this and a next stage in the the coaching profession, the family world of Derek Kellogg.
0: Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Remember seeing you play. Really enjoyed those UMass teams. They were great teams, man. And we appreciate your time.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, you guys have a good one. Coach, you too. Take care and God bless, buddy.
0: Uh, So that wraps up another day. Jimmy, you're going to go home. You're going to take a nap. You're going to apologize. No, not a nap.
1: I can't take a nap. Why not? You're telling me I'm gonna take a nap. My wife is pretty much up throughout the entire night. Well, she's not, not home, right? No, she's home. Oh, she's okay. home. Oh, no, that doesn't go. You that gotta go, go home, no. do the laundry. You gotta go. I would have to take a nap at a park. Do That's the where f- I'd have to go <laughs> somewhere like that, <laughs> and sit in my car and be in the back seat until <laughs> I'm running errands or something. That's what I need you, to you do. You can
0: wake up a cop knocking on the window. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey. What the, are you m- doing? I'm taking a nap. Mine's wife. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go home, officer. they would be like, I understand completely. You stay here, sir. All is well. I wish I could live with you guys. You teach elite guard camps for Breakthrough Basketball, our terrific sponsors, So there's a nice little tie-in. Go to www.breakthroughbasketball.com. Click camps uh, for a nationwide listing of camps that uh, Jimmy is teaching, camps that Don Kelbick, the Attack Encounter Counter camps, uh, yeah, Chris, Chris Oliver. Oliver. But I, I meant to mention Jack. He mentioned Jack Lehman during the interview, and we didn't, I don't know. He was driving in limited time with Coach. But when Jack was the coach, I guess, Dr. Dr. J., of course, was was tearing. He was averaging like 30. How do you say,
1: Dr. J., how was the introduction on that one? (laughs)
0: Just crazy numbers. So they're going into Dr. J.'s like senior year. And uh, Coach Jack gets a call from an assistant coach. And he says, Coach, I got terrible news. And Jack says, what, is my wife leaving me? And the guy says, no, worse, Julius is leaving. <laughs> Julius is going to the ABA, so they lost him. And he can still dunk. You know that? he's like, Yeah, I
1: saw a video of him. Like, like he's 60 like, yeah, years old, yeah. he's
0: still throwing it down. Yeah. So a lot of great players came through UMass, and we appreciate Coach Kellogg being on. Jimmy, good luck with your life. Uh, <laughs> better you than me uh, right now. We'll, hey, I appreciate that. We'll, we'll see you in five years when it all smooths out. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Jim Huber Show. All right, take care.